0: Welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Jasper Birch, who runs with his wife, Chelsea, Pine Island Games. The first game, Nut Hunt, is currently on Kickstarter, and they are doing amazing. Jasper, welcome to the binge. How are you doing?
1: Hey, James, it's awesome to be here. Uh, us squirrel game designers have to stick together.
0: <laughs> that's what, hey, nobody has a monopoly on the forest, my friend. <laughs> yes, that's a reference to Nutty Squirrels, the Elkwood Forest, the Kickstarter we did last year. Uh, as you know, there are a lot of people out there who absolutely love uh, squirrels and, and critters. And I'm sure you've got a lot of people supporting this campaign purely just because they love uh, squirrels, right? Eh? Yeah,
1: um, it's interesting. So, uh, I think that that is—it's hard to mar- find like market board games to that group. Um, like we are active yeah. on like some Squirrel forums, um, but it's not necessarily like the the bread and butter people who are on you know Board Game Geek who are also you know overlap with Squirrels. It's sort of like how do you find them? Um, but it's also like I think the goal is make a great game um, yeah. that people love, and then like you have this adorable theme that people can connect with and resonate with. But doesn't have to be like the main focus for everyone.
0: That's fair. I think that Venn diagram is like uh, just a sliver overlap there, right between the two. But just because you're uh, a scroll lover doesn't mean you love board games. But if you love board games, There might be a good chance to love squirrels. You never know. Yeah. Uh, So you, uh, I was reading your bio. You are, uh, are you still in finance or you were formerly in finance or what what was? So
1: I was in finance for 13 years um, and seven of those were at a hedge fund. Um, So sort of like a frontline investment professional.
0: Wall Street guy. Uh,
1: Wall Street guy. Yeah. And I was, you know, over time my job satisfaction just went down, right? I was not happy with it. It was a lot of stress and I was burnt out.
0: Did something um, so, happened in the industry or why why no? So <laughs> the things that I
1: love about that I love about finance, I love like the discovery of figuring something out and digging into it for the first time, yeah. cracking the nut of how an industry works, a company works, things like that. I you know, love working with smart people and having, you know, just debating anything um sort of on the trading floor, economics, politics, whatever. Um, so there was a lot of good stuff about it, but just over time I realized that like the actual subject matter didn't resonate with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I didn't care if like I didn't care on like a like a real level if like interest rates were up 10 basis points in the morning, right? And that's a big deal for mortgages, right? So it's like ah, um, so like not caring, and then like there's a lot of stress around it. Um, and then more so like just like all of that compounding with just like just at work um, and it might've just been like sort of where I was, but just sort of some frustrations with like how, like the process of getting investments on. Um, so it was like this sort of like compounding effect. And when that sort of happens and you start having job dissatisfaction, I find that it takes more and more emotional and mental energy to do your work to the level that you know that you can and 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 are expected to and expect yourself to. and. So then there's like sort of more pressure and just it, it became a spiral where for a couple of years it was just it just went, you know, just just became like a a, a spiral of anxiety and discontent and feeling mm-hmm. like I was pouring all of my emotional and mental energy into this job and then just didn't have room for it elsewhere um in my life.
0: I gotta imagine like again with a lot of the changes and upset around the world, right? In mm-hmm. in, in the markets and the housing markets and so forth over the past number of years, the burnout rates gotta be quite high. Right. I would think in amongst, um, that, that entire sector would it not. Yeah.
1: I mean, so yes and no, like, I mean, there hasn't been, I mean, like you, when you have an economic cycle, like you get sort of a bunch of people blown out of the industry, um, just sort of naturally happens. Right. So, but you haven't had like a real contraction in in terms of like actual jobs on wall street. Um, Mm -hmm. you have had a couple of, of like isolated events where, you know, hedge funds, you know, like, 2020, right? March 2020, a bunch, a bunch of hedge, hedge funds went under, right? And like, yeah, but that's not like a large portion of the population of who's employed on Wall Street, and most of them probably landed um just fine, um, but um, so it's it, but yeah, you definitely do have like sort of this when people start getting into their late 20s, they go like they get burnt out, go to a corporate job, like you get you definitely get turnover, and suddenly like. The, the older you get, the the more likely you're not in finance anymore. Right. Like it's not, it's, it's not being fair. Um, and yeah, I was just, I, I think I overstayed my, my welcome by about four years, four or five years, sort of like, what would have been like healthy for me to to sort of find a transition out.
0: Did you, um, did you pivot into something else or did you just straight up say, I'm out now? I'm I, just, board so games"?
1: I was waiting to sort of hit um, sort of, certain metrics and sort of our savings um to to walk away Mm -hmm. um and you know we sort of we got there um it was in uh you know it's not like we can retire it's not like we have like never work again money but we were like we have a runway to get pine island games off the ground we have a couple of years to make this into something that makes us a living Um, was sort of like what we wanted and we were there Um, and you know, it maybe it was, maybe I should have stayed for six months, nine more months until sort of the Kickstarter was closer. Um, Mm. but you know, I'm, I'm not unhappy that, that I didn't. Um, so, so yeah, so, so it was more that like, I was waiting, you know, I was always looking for a way out. And I think if I had had another industry that I was like, I love this, I'm passionate about this and it pays me a salary. I would have gone and done that, but I didn't have that. Right. Like what I had is like, I love board games and, I designed a game that I think is really awesome and that people will really resonate with people. And I have faith that I can take other people's games and bring them to a place where there are real things in the world. And those two things together with a little bit of a runway, it was like, okay, we're taking the plunge worst case two years from now, I have to go get another job. Right. And I have the experience of starting a company and it's not like that company's then dead. It's just like, if it's not supporting us, um, then we'll have to sort of like find another way to.
0: It becomes a jobby. Instead yeah a job, it's like, it's a jolly, exactly right? exactly
1: yeah. and if that's like your downside then like yes it's really scary um because you don't want that to happen but it's also like when you step back and think logically about it it's 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 an okay downside right like yeah it's not like all of my past experience and sort of accomplishments go out the drain because like i started a company right like i'm still I'm still employable, I think, right?
0: <laughs> so when did you start board games? So has board games been like your entire life or when did you get into kind of the indie part of board games yeah. specifically? And when did that kind of bug bite you?
1: So, um... I've always had sort of different creative outlets that I've been sort of working towards. I wrote a couple of unpublished novels, which I think is not uncommon among board game designers. I think a lot of us have drawers of novels. Um, Hmm. And then I I designed uh, games throughout the years. Just, you know, every year or two, I'd sort of design a game that sucked, right? Like, you know, like they weren't very good. Um, And then in uh, late summer, early fall 2020, I designed Nut Hunt. And within the first, like, two turns of the game, I was like, this is really special. Um, And it was like having designed, you know, know, half dozen games, maybe a little couple more, like, over the years that weren't good. When, like, I hit one and just, like, right off the bat, it was just like the game flow was great and, like, it was exciting. And I was just like, this is, and like things have changed, right? It's been iterated on, Mm -hmm. but like all of the major changes happened in the first 15 minutes of playtesting, you know, other things were like balance and some point systems. And like, you get an extra resource when you do this, that you didn't do before. And like little things like that, but like the core mechanisms of the game were all set within the first 15 minutes. And like, after that first playtest, um, I like, I knew that I wanted to publish it somehow either like, and being me i wanted to self publish um instead of marketing it um but but it was re- it was literally one of those things where like i it, it j- i just knew immediately that it was something that that people would that a, at least a portion of people would really love um
0: so as soon as you basically had a game you're like okay this is something i know i can put on tables around the world and and people are going to enjoy us that's when you're like okay this, is the path that we have to go. Yeah. And, well, and continue because on. I
1: had been reaching, I'd been reaching for like, what is my next career? Right. Like what is yeah. my next step? Right. And it wasn't, you know, I didn't really want to, you know, you know, part of me was like, maybe I want to be a teacher. Cause I did a little bit of teaching when I was younger. Part of me was like, maybe I can just go into corporate finance where it's like less stressful. Um, but nothing was really like catching. And then I had this and I was like, this is something that I can make something out of and I had already been following a bit, you know, like I had been reading Jamie Stegmeyer's blog for years and like um you know and on the outskirts of this industry for years. And so being like, okay, like I think I I think I'm smart enough and more importantly like willing to iterate and be wrong enough to make this a success. Right. Um, and whether it's like a knife fight to get Nut Hunt to the place where we want it to be eventually or we hit a game that just, you know, is random, you know, just for whatever reason resonates really well and does really well out of the gates. Like, I think that like, I'm willing to be wrong enough and change our process until it works. Yeah. And we have, you know, I think enough of a runway to do that, that like, I think we can make this a
0: career. That's cool. Yeah. And you, you've certainly surround yourself with, and we're going to get into the game in a second, but you surround yourself with a lot of smart people. And I mean, one is even uh, watching live now, uh, Ori Kagan. From Kagan Productions. The was the decision to, how did you find these people? Was it, what did you cut? How far down the runway were you, I guess, is my question, before you found these people? Or did you say, I got to surround myself with some people right away uh, as I start kind of getting the plane ready?
1: Because the goal is to be like a big kid on the playground publisher, you know, the goal is to be like an established publisher who's putting out two games a year and has, you know, is selling a lot of units. I, out of the gate, I think one of the smartest decisions that I made is I out of the gate said that I, if I want to, this to be professional, then I need to have the most professional people on board that I can find.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. And so, and professionalism in this industry goes a really long way. If you can write a professional introduction email to someone, they're going to respond to you. And just looking at my inbox, the difference between like, someone who is like approaching this professionally and someone who's not is is so obvious, yeah. right? And if you can just approach people with professionalism and frankness and be honest about where you are in your process and your career and your vision, um, they'll be responsive, right? So I emailed Christine Santana who did tapestry, wingspan, scythe, right? Graphic design for all of them. I emailed yeah. her and I said, hey, I'm starting a board game company. I'm looking for a graphic designer. I know your work and I think that you're great at it. Do you have availability to work with us, and what's your timeline look like? And she said, "You know what? I do, and I'm available, you know, starting like late fall. And I was mm. like, okay, that's perfect. Like we'll work together. And it was always like for every single person who we've worked with so far, it was finding the best possible person and then just approaching them and seeing if they would work with us. Um, and so we got Christine that way. We got Steve that way we got Ori that way. Ori is, you know, the person for board game video production, right? Like if you want a video made about your board game, like Ori is the guy to go to. Um, And I think that that's one of the smarter, smartest decisions that we made with the company, because I think without that level of professionalism and attention to detail around the game and production quality around the game, you know, we would cap how large of a success it it could be. And our, our, our goal is, you know, like we're putting out these games and like maybe the expectation is that they're medium successes or you make a little bit of money or they, you you know, you sell 5,000 units or whatever, but we want that optionality where if something hits and if something resonates, that it could go really big and it can't go really big unless you have hit all of those little points and brought on the best graphic design you can find and the best illustrator you can find. At least, I mean, that's my theory around it. We haven't gone really big, but like that's how I'm approaching it and thinking about everything that we're doing with the company.
0: Well, I know no, it's not a bad start, man. So I'm showing people who are watching live and on the replay. Uh, nut Hunt. I'll put this in U.S. dollars because for some reason today I get to see it in U.S. dollars. You're at uh, $25,500 on a $10,000 goal. Uh, 730 backers, nine days still to go. Um, so I'd say you're doing pretty good. You're doing mm-hmm. pretty good on this uh <laughs> Uh, for your first campaign, man, uh, to hit the five figures, uh, I know a lot of people would be uh, would love to hit these kind of numbers. Paige obviously looks, as you said, very professional. Can you walk us through kind of the, the gist of how to play this game?
1: Yeah. So um, the genesis of the game was I was playing Ticket to Ride and I wished that I could break someone's route. Right? It was like, I just wished that like there was something mm. to shake it up a little bit. Um, and so... Uh, the game at its core is a connections game but it's played on a modular board so the map is always different uh, but you're trying to you have objectives and you're trying to connect two different places on the objective with squirrels and squirrel nests what sets the game apart and is a mechanism that i haven't seen elsewhere and what really drives the game is you have this fox and the fox moves every turn um you roll a die and that's the direction that it moves and it moves every turn and if it moves onto tiles with squirrels those squirrels have to scatter right? So it's constantly reshaping the board and restructuring it, but you can also use the fox to your advantage because some tiles are harder to build on. So you might place your squirrels nearby where you'd expect them to get scattered onto that tile advantageously. Um, you can also hassle the fox where you actually pull the fox onto your tile. So you have a little bit of agency there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's sort of like a connections game, but then you have sort of this level of like variance and um, it's very accessible because games with variance and a simple turn structure, you have three choices on your turn of what you can do, um, are very approachable for, for new players. Um, and then what I've found is, especially when I play with people who um, either play poker or Magic the Gathering or some of these other games where you're sort of playing um, a range of probabilities, right, where like you ha- you're positioning yourself around probabilistic outcomes, there's a real depth of strategy that those types of players really appreciate, right? Because mm-hmm. they, it takes that type of probabilistic strategy, you know, strategy on top of variance and it applies it to the spatial reasoning type of problem. Um, and then, you know, if people, you know, and if you're someone who doesn't like variance in your games, if you like putting into coal and know you're getting an oil next turn, you know, then you might not like not hunt as much as, someone else would who who enjoys either just the chaos of the variants or enjoys that type of strategy where you're building strategy around variants
0: and then you can protect some of these by building nests i guess yes that's how so the nests right?
1: are your anchor point so that's sort of like the give and take where if there's a tile that is really important to you you do have a way of locking it down by building a nest there and then it can't scatter anymore um so you do have you do have agency right but it's like but it's agent, it's 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 a limited agency and and it's a limited resource that you have to choose how you are applying that agency and how you're sort of embracing the chaos.
0: I love this uh this mechanic of the um of how you move the fox. I'm actually going to use that in an upcoming game. I'm <laughs> as soon as I saw that I'm like, hmm, that's how I'm gonna solve my autonomous problem on uh the second edition of Tanks, but No Thanks. So thanks for that. No, yeah, I, it's, go it's for it. Good. It's, uh, it. It's clever. I I like it. I like it a lot. And this, this whole idea of uh, Ticket to Ride, I know that, uh, I think it was Our Family Plays Games. They were talking a little bit about that. They, they really liked the game. And they yeah. were saying, it kind of, um, you know, Mitch was saying, kind of gives me a, a flavor a little bit of, of Ticket to Ride. But I think that's kind of cool because you're right. When you play Ticket to Ride, you can't, you can't break the chains, right?
1: Yeah.
0: And uh, so that's kind of cool. You can break people's chains. And I was thinking about that when I was first watching the playthroughs of this game. I was like, wow how frustrating is that going to be when you build a connection between two areas and someone moves the Fox and forces those, the, those, those squirrels to scramble. And also it's like, Oh, I got to go and and, and rebuild that. Right. So yeah. that's got to bring a lot of that kind of it's, dynamic vibe to the game. Right.
1: It does. And and it's sort of like it, sometimes it has a little bit of a feel of like a push your luck game at the very end where you're like going for that last, you know, piece of the potion and quacks or something like that. Um, yeah. And it's, it's interesting because variance in games is a very uh, divisive um, mechanism, right? There's people who absolutely love it and it's their favorite thing in the world and there's people who don't like it. And what's interesting about Nut Hunt is because your routes can get broken at the very end, sometimes the points at the end of the game don't reflect how close the game actually was. Mm. Um and that's also why I think that people who are like poker players or magic gathering players or who play these games of variance and understand that sometimes the outcome isn't reflective of like the input yeah they're fine with that right but like if you're like just if you only like euros and you don't like sort of high variance or you need the dice modifiers in in your games and you're always buying the the uh the nature tokens in Cascadia to redraw the tiles right like if if that's your jam then like you know you'll find then then i would say that you that if you approach not hunt you should approach it more as like the fun sort of like family lightweight game where you don't take it seriously and if you do sort of like that sort of like playing the the variants, then like the two-player dueling you know one versus one positioning puzzle uh is probably very much up your alley um but that is one of those things where like you definitely see it you definitely see you know the types like the pe- the types of games that people like just while they're playing your game and you immediately sort of know like the, this that that person's laughing their butt off right like yeah. their run just got broken and they're laughing their butt off and that person's run just got broken and they're like you know like sour grapes about it and like which is fine you know like on the whole it people really like it and the people who really like it it there are multiple people who have come to us after conventions and told us that it's their top three favorite games top you know lots of people say it's favorite game of the convention and we've had people who are like this is my top two or three favorite games of all the time and if that is and if you are hitting that well with a segment of the population yeah then like like there's something that works that worked really well with it and it's just all about right. matter of finding those people who will absolutely love it right
0: for people to check out the page, there's two things that really stood out for me, other than obviously the artwork and the graphics and everything. You guys did an amazing job. Like Everything is very well polished, so congrats on that. Um, one was uh, the video by uh, Grant uh, Lion. Yeah. <laughs> I was crying. I was laughing so hard. The first minute, if anybody just go to this page, go down, watch Grant's uh, video. The first minute, uh, the guy's Looney Tunes. It's awesome. I love it. it, it was It was quite funny. Uh, the second thing was, um that your print and play is free, yeah,
1: yeah. So a lot of the decisions around the game and um some of the the smart the smarter decisions I think, and also some of the things probably missteps that we made is yeah. um m- I want this to get sort of like th- to get as broad as possible, right initially, um mm-hmm. because like my goal with this game is like, you know, to you know, that I want to get it into as many hands as possible because I think that like the key to to the long-term success of the game is going to be sort of the word of mouth the people actually playing it and getting to experience it. Yeah. Right. And the print and play like look I understand why people, you know it's IP, why people will charge a little bit of money for it, but like our marginal cost for a print and play is zero. Right. So like mm-hmm. just play it. Right. Like I want I'd rather I'd rather someone download the print and play and play it and play it with a couple of people who wouldn't have seen the game otherwise, like that is more than enough compensation for me. Right. Like if you show this game to one person, I like, that's awesome. Like that, that's, that's, that's more than, that's way more valuable to me than paying me $5 for a print and play. Yeah. Um.
0: So I just want to make sure that point's not lost. So if people go to this Kickstarter page, yeah. Literally just scroll halfway down and there's a link to download the print and play.
1: Yes. And it is that's 100% of the game, 100% yeah. of the game, everything that like, you have to bring your own meeples, Right. Like, sure.
0: but, yeah.
1: but like, yeah, it's a 100% print and play completely free. Um, and that's sort of my expectation for all of the games that we're going to publish. Um, we're going to have, you can play it for free. If we aren't putting in, if we aren't manufacturing right components, right? Like, nice. I yeah. think that that is, that's sort of my philosophy around it. Um, our next game, uh, we're building our our own digital version of it so that we'll have, like, on our own servers, like, a, a web-based digital version to get people to play it because I want these yeah. games, like, we're only licensed in signed games that we really, really believe in, and I want those games to get out there as broadly as possible because I have faith that by people, by enough people playing them, that's how they will be a success, not by us trying to make a little bit more money on, like, a small on a small number of units.
0: Being a young um publishing company, right? Mm -hmm. So it's being your first game and and already having kind of the vision that okay, we're not just gonna do our own games, we're gonna actually be a publisher. We're gonna publish other people's games as well. How did you go about approaching building your your audience, right? Because that's that's the toughest part for anybody starting out. You know, for, coming in, it is brutal, right? You're coming yeah. in with no audience and starting out from zero and trying to build that up. So, what are some of the things that you did that others might you know consider and, and learn from uh, yeah. to help get you there?
1: So um, the the most successful marketing that we've done and the only successful marketing that we've done has been the organic outreach. And I'm sort of lumping in the reviewers in that because that's sort of social proof. And you know, there we did some yeah. paid reviews and previews, but but organic. Our outreach, talking about the game, playing the game. Um, I have a blog that gets you know three thousand readers a month on games publishing. Um, like the sort of just going out there and talking about it and engaging people with it and getting people to play it and talk to. You, that has been very successful. Um, hmm. And our community is small, right? You know, we have seven hundred people on the Kickstarter. We have three hundred something people in our Facebook group. Um, but like the engagement that we have in it and how fierce people are in it is pretty amazing. Um, And like, I think that it's a very solid base for us to grow from. Um, And so that has been very successful. Um, Our paid advertising. So we did a Facebook leads campaign um, where it was like, Hey, sign up to get notified about this campaign launch. Didn't go well. Uh, It was, very expensive we, we put a lot of money into it um into our facebook advertising got a lot
0: more expensive quite frankly since they made the changes right with apple yeah. and so forth it's uh it's brutal
1: <laughs> yeah it's it's brutal and then also yeah. i think we had a couple other small things working against us um you know our game is called nut hunt um so i think the people were interacting with it who weren't interested in the game because like you know if if you're having a couple beers with your friends then it's like a funny thing that you can joke about right when you're yeah. playing a game. But on the internet, people suck at nuance, right? So, like, I think that we yeah. had a little bit of, like, I think it confused Facebook's AI a little bit. Um, And part of the reason why I put money into the advertising is, I was like, I know that on a per unit, we're losing money on this advertising. But because our goal is for it to get as broad as possible, I'm okay yeah. losing a little bit of money in order for, for it to go broader. Our conversions were, like, really bad, though. So, I think that even... With that mindset, I think that we shouldn't have spent the money there. I think we should have just done more reviews, right? Like it would have gone way yeah. farther, way more people would have seen it. Um, the Facebook advertising was was very unsuccessful for us. Um, I do think others can do it better if you have a good same audience and you're working with like a company that has like really good email list to sort of really target appropriately. Yeah, like, like
0: a backer kid or one of these guys. Exactly. right? Exactly.
1: Like I do think yeah. that there's ways that people can do it successfully. I also think that like to do it successfully, you also need like a really good pipeline of like onboarding people, getting them into your community and recycling it around. And I don't think that I had that infrastructure aligned quite right. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are things that I that we could have done to do that better, um, but I don't think it would have put it over the edge to where it was a success. But like the organic outreach and the reviews and the previews, all of that has been just like, I just wish we could you know, have five of me doing it, right? Like, because that's just been by far um, the most successful and the most rewarding, to be honest.
0: Times a commodity, for sure. So how much is it about the person, do you think? If somebody's starting out, like, how much would you recommend them putting themselves out there? And I'm going to preface this with this, how I first, quite frankly, learned about you was through TikTok, right? Like, follow you on TikTok. Let's just start following as many board game um, designers, board game companies as I could. Yeah. Really, anything to do with board games, and shockingly, there's still a still a small ecosystem right now on yeah. on TikTok. Shockingly, um, and so that's why I first met you, and is and so the, is the person that kind of pulled me in. But how important is that, do you think, for others starting out?
1: I mean, it's really hard to say. I think that you need to lean on your strengths. Um, I think that I'm very comfortable writing, so I'm very comfortable with the blog, and I'm very comfortable talking to people. I'm very t- comfortable being in front of people, mm-hmm. and so I think that that sort of like that the way that I've managed the outreach has aligned with my strengths. But if you aren't comfortable on in front of a camera on TikTok, then like, yeah, you shouldn't probably be there or you shouldn't be the main focus or you should find a way to do it where you aren't the center of attention on it. Right. Like you have to find probably what works for you. And I do think that you need to find a way to connect with people. Like I think connecting with people is vitally, vitally important. Yeah. But the medium that you connect with people through, I think that you probably have some flexibility and need to sort of look at yourself and assess how you connect with people in real life and how you can port that to like a larger medium.
0: I think it's fair to say though, that if even if someone is not necessarily comfortable going on camera, putting themselves out there, I can promise you the more that you do it, the more comfortable you'll become.
1: That's fair. Yeah, that's fair.
0: Right. If you go back to my first uh, podcast episode. I mean, you just using like an iPhone, it, it was rough, right? And a lot of content creators I talked to said the exact same thing that, you know, oh, gosh, when I started out, it was rough, but yeah. it was only through repetition and continue to do it and get more comfortable in front of the camera and be able to articulate yeah. your passion that if, it finally kind of came to become what it, what it is. And, um, so the only way to start that is to actually start it.
1: That's right. It, right? And I also think, I think that's very fair. And I, you know, I also think that you need to find sort of what, what, what can differentiate your approach a little bit from other people, right? Yeah. Um, like the Board Game Binge podcast, like it's about the people and it's bite-sized, right? And that's like a differentiating factor that I think people can appreciate and can resonate with. Um, I don't know that I have a huge differentiator. I think that my differentiator is I sort of like, it's I'm trying to be very frank and honest with like the behind the scenes and the numbers and also go like really deep. Like if you want, to go really deep into what legal terms you need in a contract when signing a game, I put it up on our blog, right? Like, and I'll talk about it. If you want to go really deep into how much does illustration actually cost and where can you find professional illustrators? We've publicly disclosed how much we paid for artwork. Um, And we got Jamie Stigmeyer to disclose how much their art budgets are. And we got a couple other people to disclose how much their art budgets are so that we can have this honest conversation about like, this is how much these different types of illustration cost, And here's how you can do it on different budgets. And I think that I'm, what I'm trying to do, and hopefully I'm doing an okay job of it is both being open about these things and honest about these things, but also like presenting them in a way that they are accessible so that if you're starting out, you can learn this before you make the mistakes or the missteps or waste a bunch of time. Um, And also frame things where you understand like not every business model has the same needs because a lot of the content that you see online is like targeted at like one specific demographic of creator. And like, you know, like everyone says, use the Game Crafter for your prototypes and that's great advice. But like, look, if you're a big publisher you're getting your prototypes made from your manufacturer in China, right? Like you're not getting your review prototypes made at the Game Crafter. And so like understanding that like there's different needs and what your needs are and being able to figure that out. You need all that information out there instead of just getting some of the bite-sized stuff that is available now.
0: That's fair. You'd mentioned that at the beginning of the chat that there was uh, another game you guys have worked on. I think I saw on your uh, social channel, you're actually were showing the board. Yeah. Uh, What was that? What was that? Um, Are you allowed to talk about it? Yeah. So, yeah.
1: um, That's our next game. It's sigil. We're really excited about it. Um, It is, chess meets magic the gathering
0: okay
1: <laughs> and so uh or really more go meets magic the gathering but chess people, more people are familiar with chess um so it's a two-player dueling abstract strategy dueling game um it's designed uh by someone who i know quite well um and uh he actually used to be like a, on the magic card pro tour he has a phd in math like super smart smart person um, and loves games And it's really fun. So it's go, you're placing stones on the board trying to try and crush people, but then there's spells on the board that if you occupy them, you can cast them for these powerful effects. Um, So it's, it's, it's my, it's the best abstract strategy dueling game that I've ever played. Um, I think that like um, the, the, the only other game that I sort of put that for me personally um, would be like Onitama and they're sort of different niches. Only, you know, the Onitama is sort of lighter weight. This is a little crunchier, Um, but like, it's, I love it. It's amazing. Uh, we're going all in. We're building a digital version. We're going to have leaderboards, elo rankings, a how to play tutorial. Um, that's all going to come early this fall. And we're going to have the game at Gen Con um, to oh, show cool. off the early prototype um, at Gen Con. Um, oh, so sweet. if you want to play it and you're going to be at Gen Con, um, stop by the Pine Island Games booth. Uh, we're in the back, but we'll have Nut Hunt and Sigil um, and a lot of fun.
0: Oh, that's sweet. If people want to follow that process, so how do they find your blog and then how do they follow you on your social channels?
1: Yeah. So, uh, the, my blog is, uh, pineislandgames.com. Um, the blog's right there. Um, we don't have a lot of information up on it on sigil yet. Um, but I do talk about it a little bit in the blog. I talked about the digital version, um, in, in, in a blog last week. Um, so you can follow along there. We have the RSS feed. Um, you can join our newsletter there and we'll talk about the game through that. Um, most places I'm at Pine Island Games, um, so you can follow along on TikTok. Um, we have we have Instagram, but we're not super active there, um, and I'm very active on Facebook. Uh, Jasper Gardener Birch, um, you can friend me. I'm in a lot of the board game design forums, um, or you can follow our corporate page um, at Pine Island
0: Games. That's awesome, and of course, anybody that wants to check out Nut Hunt, I'm putting a link in the show notes so you can easily find it or you just go to kickstarter and type in nut hunt and you will find it jasper it's been awesome chatting with you man and getting to know you uh, all the best of this campaign i can't wait to see how you guys uh, finish off on it it just looks awesome i'm so happy for you guys
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, James. It's a lot of fun. Take
0: care. Cheers. Cheers. This has been an episode of the board game binge podcast hosted by James Staley produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner with original music by Nick Smith. If you'd like to watch these interviews live, simply subscribe to our YouTube channel board game binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.